According to Australia National University, everyone has unconscious bias and everyone is affected by it. Bias is a normal human prejudice that we all have, regardless of how fair-minded we consider ourselves to be. It's created and reinforced by our background, cultural environment, and personal experiences, and is deeply ingrained into our thinking and emotions. How then do we create awareness of our own biases so we can examine them and how they impact our interactions and decision-making processes in the business world? This is the question we'll be examining with today's guest and daughter of change, Ellen Miller. Ellen is a pioneer in today's world. Like many women, her rise to prominent roles in male-dominated organizations has been a lifelong pursuit of blazing new trails, encountering setbacks, and achieving success. However, during the majority of her career, she was a change agent operating on cognitive autopilot, taking on information from her environment, making decisions based on her perceptions, and carrying the weight of corporate responsibility squarely on her shoulders. By 2017, after 25 years in the energy industry, Ellen left her executive role with an internationally owned company and began a new pioneering journey that changed her life. She now educates leaders on the benefit of cultivating greater cognitive awareness and relational intelligence and the importance of embracing a growth mindset for oneself for the benefit of others. She shares her pioneering stories and mindset insights with people across the United States as a speaker and leadership coach. Welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. My name is Marie Sola, and I'm a firm believer that women and girls play a major role in creating change for our future. This podcast tells the stories of the women and girls who are creating that change, each in their own unique way. Every day is an opportunity to blaze new trails and set positive change in motion. The possibilities are endless. Let's get started. Ellen Miller, welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. I'm so thrilled to be here. And thanks for having me. Yeah, this is fun. Ellen and I uh, met as part of the uh, Maine Women's Conference. So we came into each other's worlds that way and realized that we had a whole heck of a lot more in common than just that. And we started a, a great conversation I guess it was about a month ago at a, a get together for the conference and realized that we both did podcasts and Ellen has some great uh, insight and wisdom and information about unconscious bias. And we got into this really, um, really fascinating conversation and we decided that we were going to do a podcast about it. So a little bit of background for all of you out there listening. And uh, you are now going to be the proud and fabulous recipients of 
the wisdom of Ellen Miller. Oh, my. I can't wait to hear what I say. (laughs) (laughs) I can't either, Ellen. It's going to be fabulous. Whatever it is, it's going to be fabulous, and it's going to be well worth listening to uh, just from the, the tidbits of conversation we've already had. And, you know, Ellen, I love to start the podcast with this question because I get some really really fun answers. Um, What's something people would be surprised to know about you? Well, I think when people get to know me a little bit, and you'll hear a little little bit probably about some of my stories uh, and my background, but uh, one thing that surprises people that my first job in corporate America was opening mail. And people are like, what? You open mail? I'm like, yeah, I actually literally went into this corporate position. I started in a in the purchasing department and I just opened their mail for them every single day and dispersed it out into that department and to everybody else in the area that they impacted. And it was something that was really, I think, eye-opening for me to go into a company at the like the lowest level, like one of the really yeah. lowest entry points, right? And then to have a career that came from that initial step of taking a chance of to say like, you know what, I'll take this job and who knows where it's going to go. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because we always had that sort of old adage of starting in the mailroom and working your way up. You know, I mean, there used to be movies about that, right? Like the guy or the person would start in the mailroom and then they were running the company. But really, if you think about it, understanding everything that goes on from an operational standpoint in a company and understanding workers at all levels and that they're all adding something to the equation, I think that's what makes a really good leader. So I uh, I commend you for that. And I love that you said you just took the risk and you did it, right? Because you never know where something's going to lead. Never. You never know yeah. where, when an opportunity arises, if you can take that opportunity and just say, hey, let's see what happens next. I think it's it's great. Yeah. I, that's that, that. Okay. So that's a good story. I like that. I like that. And I am surprised, but I'm not surprised at the same time because I know you. <laughs> but I think that's, that's a good one. And, you know, when we initially started talking, you mentioned to me that you spent a lot of your life in the mode of automatic thinking. And, and I think that that's kind of a good place to start here because I think we all do that. But can you explain to us what you mean by that? Yeah, for sure. And to tell you the truth, this really came into my awareness probably about two and a half years ago that I had been pretty much, even as a leader, running my decisions on automatic pilot. And what that meant was when I was about to take a decision, I was just reacting to the information that I had based on my interpretation of information and coming up what I thought was at the time the best possible answer. And it wasn't until I started to do some own personal development and personal growth activities that I became aware of the way our brain operates And that was through reading a book by Daniel Kahneman, um, Thinking Fast and Slow, where he describes the fact that 90% of the time we are acting on autopilot based on the way our brain processes information. And it's only 10% of the time that we actually make conscious decisions. And that just blew me away. Blew me away. That 
that's scary. Do you think world leaders do that? Oh my God, what if world leaders do that? I bet they do. <gasps> oh my God, no, but I mean, really, if you think about it, I mean, that all kidding aside, wow. I mean, I, I just have to say, wow, because yeah. we, we're all, I mean, we're all doing that. It doesn't make us bad or evil or what have you. It's like you said, it's the way that our brains are wired. Uh, you know, we've heard over and over again that we only use a small portion of our brain on any given day. Some of us probably less than others, right? But um, that's amazing. So, all right, so you you read this book, you it opens your eyes. How did you get from sort of that point of, let's call it your awakening moment about that to where you are now today, being able to have this conversation with me and having this conversation within the the business world? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think what happened with me is that I had read that book. I read another book, The Neuroscience of Leadership, um, because I was interested then in this understanding of my brain. Like, what is it about my brain that I never knew before about how, you know, I actually am responding to any event? And um, I actually, in addition to that, I took a course on coaching and really started understanding, like, who am I? You know, how do I interpret the world around me? And that combination, I think, of the science and the what I would say, more uh, data-driven analysis combined with some own like personal reflection through coaching, understanding how my beliefs shape my thoughts, which then shape how I respond in any given point, was a real aha moment. And during that course of doing more research, more learning, coupled with the coaching background, I uncovered this idea of unconscious bias and the fact that unconscious bias exists for everybody. Yeah. And it, it is sim- yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's simply a way our brain tries to save energy. So it creates these shortcuts. And these shortcuts are then developed over time based on our upbringing, our environment, the people in which we have been exposed to and they become like our default mechanism a really fast way for our brain to respond to any given situation have you ever heard of that term like this person pushes my buttons yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah right i mean yeah have you ever been in a situation marie where someone says something and you just respond to it automatically and then you know you're like, oh my gosh, they just pushed my button. Yeah. You know, and to stop and actually think about that before you react is that to me feels like that's that's something you have to learn as well, right? How to, un, if you will, unwire that to rewire it. Does that, am I making any sense when I say that? Yeah, you make so much sense because it's all habits. Your brain yeah. forms these connections where neurons wire together. There's a saying that says neurons that wire together, fire together. Uh, I like that. Right. Yeah. And the more that these neurons that fire together, wire together, they create stronger networks, stronger connections, and they become habitual, right? Without even knowing about it. That's the thing about unconscious bias is that you don't even realize that these connections are made. The trick then is if you can gain awareness and really start thinking about, hmm, what bias could I have that's at play, you can start changing your own thought process 
And that's what neuroscience is telling us today, that you can actually create new connections within your own brain, new ways of thinking at any age. It's not just children, right? It's not just teenagers. You could you and I, we can come up with new ways of thinking that will actually help us evolve if we're interested in understanding a little bit more about ourselves and making better decisions ultimately. It's so fascinating to me because we're learning so much more about neuroscience and the way that the brain works. And, you know, just as, as a quick aside, it would seem to me that those thought patterns you can also use against yourself to stop yourself from accomplishing things or growing. So as much as those decisions, and we're going to be talking more about how it impacts in the business world, but it would also feel like it can also impact your own personal journey, if you will, and how you choose to, you know, live your life because you have all these, you could, those unconscious biases can be about yourself too. Like, oh, I'll never get there because I'm this age or I'll never get there because I look like this or I'll never get there because I'm a woman or I'll never get there because I didn't go to this call. Like all these things, right? They can all impact you like in many, many, many ways. And these beliefs that you have, assumptions that you have that are causing these specific thoughts that maybe you don't even realize you have. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and Ellen, I have to ask you why you have really uh, been sharing your knowledge Why do you feel it's so important to talk about your journey and this knowledge with others? Well, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to get the word out about unconscious bias and decision making is because I could see in retrospect, once I learned about this, like, wow, now I understand so much better the impact that I was having on my own people as a leader. And that I was allowing some of my own unconscious bias to influence the way I interacted with people and the people I put around me. And we can talk about one of them, which is around the fact that confirmation bias can come into play when you are going to people that you know are going to give you the answer that you want to hear. Right? You know, I know, right? Nothing nothing better than to approach people that are just going to tell you exactly what you want. So it's when you're seeking that type of reinforcement of your own beliefs or information that you've gathered and you're taking a decision, you know, that can be a real, a real, I want to say setback, but it can have a real impact is probably a better way to put it on your success as a leader and the success of your team, because you're not seeking out those people that have a different opinion than you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that when you, I hadn't even thought about sort of that part of the equation, right? That not only do you personally have unconscious bias, but without, you're unconsciously seeking out like-minded people so you don't have to deal with the other side of it. Yeah. You just basically want to have reinforce your thoughts. And that makes you feel great, right? And it's so much easier for your brain to say, you know, I know I can get the information, the confirmation I need if I go to these people and they're going to tell me because I think they think the same way as me exactly what I want to hear. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, my friend, my good friend Wolf would say he's, uh, you know, a very uh, philosophical thinker and he would say that our habitual thinking is our addiction to being average. Oh. 
because it's easier, right? It's easier. It's the path of least resistance. It doesn't make anybody a bad human being. It's just we, you know, we get addicted to that habitual thinking or that habitual way that we're moving through the world. So, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Marie, I think that's a really good point yeah. because I've talked to, when I've talked to people about unconscious bias, I said, you know, always think of it when you're interacting with people, it's really helpful to understand that everybody has unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. And if you can take a lens at somebody who maybe you don't agree with, maybe you don't like the decisions that they're making. When you can understand that they may have biases at play that are impacting the way they're presenting themselves, it gives you a little bit more understanding, I would say empathy. Yeah. And how do I then approach this person in a way that's going to be helpful for me and helpful for them? Yeah, and respectful, you know, and I and think respectful. That- that's so important right now, I feel, because we have so much divisiveness in general in the world. And, you know, not to get off track, but when you said that, I think about, you know, seeking out people with different opinions and trying to understand rather than vilifying them, because it feels to me like every time I see bad things happening in the world, it's otherism. You know, it's when we can take our unconscious bias, whatever that may be, you know, there's a lot of different ways and say, you are other than me. You think differently than me. Therefore, you are evil. You are bad. You are not worthy. That's when dangerous stuff happens. So from the level of even taking this in business, it can be the same thing. Like you don't think the way I do. You don't act the way I do. You don't look the way I do. Therefore, you're not worthy of a certain role of a certain thing. Or I don't, I'm not even going to, you know, ask your opinion on the team. Um, this is just such an important conversation. You know, it just... It multiplies the meaning of it just out there into the world. And Mm. and can I just ask you, as you know, as we start going in more to, you know, some of the ways you can recognize this and how you can take some steps and actually how it impacts decision making, how would you define unconscious bias? It doesn't have to be like the, you know, Merriam-Webster definition, but just from your own personal work, how would you define it? I would define unconscious bias as influences that are impacting the decisions that we make that we are not even aware of. That's just a simple way to think about it. Yeah. And so how would you, within the decision-making process, how does it impact? Can you give sort of some examples of how unconscious bias impacts decision-making? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think one of the big ones that I see, and people talk a lot about this if you're into unconscious bias, is really around um, the interviewing process. It can have a big impact on the people that you decide you want to hire. And so part of it can be a couple I'll talk about right now is affinity bias. People that are just like you, you're interviewing them. Maybe they, you know, they went to school in the college you went to. Maybe they live in the same state that you live in. Maybe they look just like you in some manner. You know, they really connect with you because you see yourself in this person and there's a real affinity and it makes you say, oh, look at this person. You may not even consciously be aware of it, but oh, there's an affinity there. And this is why I'm going to rate this person higher in my hiring matrix because there's an affinity bias at play. That's one. 
The other one I'd like to point out to people is this idea of a halo effect in business. And there's a couple ways this um, comes into effect. The halo effect being that you perceive somebody um, in a way that influences your judgment. So perhaps you walk into a meeting and you see someone there and they have a business outfit on, right? Whether it's a suit or it's a dress. If it's a woman, she has to wear a dress that day or she could be wearing a suit. She has a briefcase. Maybe she has a uh, attache case with her. Perhaps she's wearing glasses. Looks very professional. Your perception of this person can be, well, they're really put together. They obviously are a professional in their industry. They have expertise and they have this kind of halo like, oh, here's someone that really knows what they're talking about. You could have a person that comes into your corporate meeting and is wearing a t-shirt, jeans, and Nike sneakers. And your bias could be the opposite of halo effect, which is horn effect. Like this person, this is how they show up. This is your perception. They can't know anything. Look at they're not dressed appropriately not going to pay attention. I already have a perception that's influencing how I'm going to judge this person, right? And I say to people, this can really happen, but then you've got to remind yourself, you know, or have some awareness that there's people like Mark Zuckerberg, right? Who that is his outfit, right? That's his outfit. So it doesn't really matter right? How someone is dressed, that's not a good way to judge someone's capabilities. But our bias is always at play based on our experiences, based on our background, based on what we were Mm -hmm. told when we first started in business, right? Marie, do you remember when people wear shirt and ties to work every day? Do you remember that? Oh, my God. I was told to wear, um, I was young, you know, when I started in my career, which was in a a predominantly male-dominated industry at the time, I was told to go out and buy a fake pair of glasses so people would take me seriously because I was too young and I was attractive and, you know, I was a woman to boot. So go out and buy yourself a fake pair of glasses so people will think you're smart. And may I add, I was the only person with a college degree in my department or one of the only people. And that that didn't make, I'm not saying that made me smarter, but I mean, these were the things we were told, you know, as women, as, well, I mean, men too, that, you know, the blue suit, the white shirt and the red tie. And then for us, well, for me, I don't know if you're as old as I am, but the shoulder pads and the, oh God, help me, right? And the little bolo ties, yeah, no. But yeah, and and it's interesting that you bring that up because it is true. And there's so many social constructs around that you know, unconscious bias as well. It's the, it's what we're being fed externally from people we may not even know, right? So not just our families or or our friends, but just what we're being told by the the outside influences, the chatter. Yeah, no kidding. How many women do you know that wear high heels because they feel that there's a bias towards people, women that are short? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the time, all the time, right? And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying this is a fact that there, in fact, there is a bias, right? That taller people actually make more money. There's been studies done. Taller people make more money. Why wouldn't you want to feel like you're taller in stature if you feel it's going to benefit you in some way? Right, yeah. So it's, it's just there are so many things at play here. And, 
You know, we discussed earlier on, you talked about how the brain is wired for us to have these unconscious thoughts and and biases. And I believe you said neurons that wire together fire together, right? Is that that how you said? All right. So on the flip side of that, Ellen, is there a way that we can rewire our thinking and rewire the way those neurons are firing? Yeah, for sure. And the good news is, and I always like to tell people when I talk to them about unconscious bias, is the good news is you've already started. If you're listening to this podcast, that is like good for you. Celebrate a little bit because you have started the first step of awareness. You know, you have to start from an awareness that you have unconscious bias. And then the second step is when you do want to start to make better decisions to really, number one, hit the pause button. You know, I'm not talking about what if stir dinner tonight. You know, I'm talking about, you know, (laughs) really important, you know, important decisions for you. You know, it can even be personal. It could be professional, it could be in the community, but when you have a decision to make that really you think is a significant decision is to hit the pause button and really sit back and reflect upon what is driving my decision and is there a unconscious bias at play what can i think of that might be influencing why i am leaning towards a specific decision that's one easy step right and that takes just pause for 10 seconds and reflect on why am i making this decision and so, Ellen, what are some examples? Okay, so you take that pause, right? So you're, you know, you right. first of all, you've listened to the podcast or you've read a book or you've figured out that this is something that could just be lurking in your persona, right? So you take that pause, which is your, well, the, I guess the first step is what you're saying is the awareness. And then a big way to help that, the first thing is to take that pause. So now what are some examples or ways that you then, in that pause, recognize your unconscious biases like because if they're unconscious you got to bring them to the surface so how are what are some examples or steps of actually recognizing what's going on there yeah the very first step is to ask yourself what other opinions have i listened to regarding this decision if the only opinion you've listened to is your own opinion that could be a red flag that you have a bias right the second is and of those opinions i'm seeking are they people that are only telling me what I want to hear? And this is a big one for leaders, yeah. right? Even if you're reflecting on your, uh, do I have an, a bias? Do I have a confirmation bias? Well, then let me just really think about and maybe sit down and make a list. Whose opinion have I asked for? Yeah, Joe, Sally, Linda, Mark. And are those all people that are going to tell me what I want to hear? Yes, 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 yes. Well, maybe I need to go to those people that are the opposite. Yeah. The people that I know are going to disagree with me. Or I have a, I have the feeling or belief that they're going to disagree with me and go seek those people out. That's one really easy step you can do. I yeah, go the to the mailroom. Ask the people go to in the, the mailroom. Mail room. Go to the right. mailroom, damn it. Go to the mailroom. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, ask a diverse set of people. I think the other thing that you can really tap into if you're trying to understand if you have an unconscious bias is 
Am I judging anything in a way that's not factual? And separate the facts from the judgments. I see this a lot, Marie, actually in the industry that I have worked in for a long time around safety, right? And there's a bias around getting to a quick answer, the autopilot answer. Oh, this must have happened because of X, Y, and Z. You know, automatic, fast, fast. But what happens is that you have to peel back the onion and say, okay, let's not stop with the judgments. Let's stop with the, you know, assumptions and be curious about what is driving my decision. And I think to your point, right, if, if you're like, oh, is there an unconscious bias at play? You have to be willing to be curious and say, okay, I know who I've asked for an opinion. What do I know about the facts? And then is there anything else I should be considering that I haven't considered at this point that could be influencing the way I'm making this decision? And just asking yourself that question actually allows yourself to be more open-minded and for your brain to actually engage in more creativity. Is there anything else I should be thinking about? Nice. I think that's an important step. Yeah, because it's actually doing some factual research that is, you know, is important in decision making, especially if you're running a company or a team or a, a country. Oh, I'm going to go there. Stop. I didn't say that. But, you know, I mean, it's when you're making, you know, even within your relationships, right, with your partner, making decisions about the house or your relationship. I mean, it's, it's you know, what do we do when we get in a fight with somebody? We go to our friends that we, you know, if we're going to talk about it, we go to the friends that are going to tell us that the other person's wrong and we're right. Right. right? So. Yes. You know, I think even with facts, you have to be careful that you don't have a bias towards the very first fact that you heard. There's yeah. a lot of times I talk to people, especially in business, about when when you've been asked to put a number together, you know, maybe it's a budgetary number, maybe it's a, a number that's needed for future planning to a three to five year planning. And they just just give us a mm -hmm. number and you say, well, I don't I can't. It's too I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to give that research that's needed. But there's a lot of pressure. We just it doesn't have to be exact. Just give us a number. Well, you know, the minute you put that number on a table, somebody else's bias is at play and they're going to anchor to that number. Because why? Because it's readily available information. And then they anchor to it. And before you know it, that number is floating out in the rest of the organization as like a credible, hard and fast and true number. And so it's really important that we think about, to your point, in all our decisions, what if I have to make a business decision, what are the facts I'm looking at? Even question the facts. Is this really a fact? What's behind the numbers? Or is this something that was presented that maybe there's really no good basis for it? Yeah. And you, you make a great point, Ellen, too, about the pressure we often feel in business, right? The pressure to perform, but also the pressure um, to meet deadlines that sometimes are just kind of randomly thrown at us, right, on timelines. And and so I wonder if that impacts, like, I can't pause. I, I, can't, I don't have time to pause, you know, go, 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 go. So there's there's something in here that 
that's feeling like it, it starts at the top, right? It starts at the top of an organization and the culture of the organization to be able to say to the employees, you know, we want you to really think through your decisions. And when when stuff starts rolling downhill, which often happens, particularly in, you know, let's say more um, traditional organizations, I think that that's a disservice to everybody. I mean, I'm not saying you say to somebody, take your own sweet time and, you know, you don't have to meet a deadline, but our leaders, our people running companies thinking about the pressure they're putting on people to make decisions in maybe an untimely way. Yeah, I think the fact is, and then those decisions or or that product they're being asked to produce, people will latch onto it. Even with caveats, if, if when that person is saying it has all these caveats, they latch onto it and it just becomes what's tr- the truth, right? So it does put a lot of burden on people yeah. to have to step back and say, I need more time. And sometimes that works. And sometimes, quite honestly, Marie, it's not going to work. They're going to just yeah. give me your best. Yeah. And but know that there I think it's on the onus of the leader to understand yeah. Is there a bias at play because my person gave me this number under pressure, but I'm latching onto it because I needed something that told me what I wanted it to tell me, you know, putting more value on it than it was actually ever meant to have. But it's a great cultural insight. Yeah, it really is. And and also allowing a space for your, I would imagine this maybe plays into it, but you tell me. So an environment where people feel like they can speak out if what they're saying is is not the consensus of the rest of the team or of the management when, okay, so you're being asked to make a decision and maybe the there you have people in the room that aren't the actual decision makers, but this is impacting their jobs, right? Whether it's a new process or a new budget or whatever that might be. And You've got these on the ground people that are boots on the ground that may not be sitting in the corporate offices that probably have a lot of insight. But I find a lot of times their opinions aren't asked because maybe they're going to to tell the decision maker something that they don't want to hear, which is going to just make things take longer or whatever that may be, or just hit their ego. Do you find that that is part of it as well? You know, what I think can happen is that because the leaders are going to the people that tell them what they want to hear, right? They're not hearing Mm -hmm. from below the people that it's really impacting and those voices aren't rising up. And perhaps those people in that room already know, right? They already know their boss and they already know their boss is aligned with an executive and they have a feeling within themselves, if I speak up, it's not going to go anywhere. So it, it, it really is a cultural uh, effect. Yeah. And I really like this idea that's out there now about psychological safety, which is how creating psychological safety in organizations is critical to success because it allows people the freedom to actually say what they really think and then to help the organization make better decisions overall. That's really interesting. Would you mind just digging in a little bit more to that and what that, you know, what that means? I mean, obviously it's a little bit intrinsic, but what would that look like? An example of that psychological safety. Yeah, so like, yeah, psychological safety would look like, you know, bringing people together 
And I'll tell you about something I did. Here's a good one. So I was working on a, uh, integrating a company uh, into the company that I worked for as a leader. And I got my new team together. And of course, you can imagine what it's like when you're being, in, you know, when you're the company that's being mm -hmm. integrated, uh, you know, not so great, probably for them. That's That was my perspective. This is going to be hard for them. And so I purposely created a psychologically safe environment where I would bring my team together and I would let them air their grievances. Nice. You know, I just, I would go in there, I would put on my armor, right? <laughs> but I let them get it all out onto the table. So one, they felt heard. Like I'm hearing what you're concerned about. I'm hearing the fear that you have about how things are changing so rapidly. I hear your frustration that you things aren't the way they used to be. And I'm here to help through this transition period as you get integrated into this new organization. And I want you on the team. Right? Nice. To create that environment so they can really, you know, when you allow for psychological safety, people then begin to believe that their leaders care about them and what they have to say and that we are there to help grow them as people, but also take their input and help make decisions for the organization, right? I think there's a lot of case studies. One of them um, was BlackBerry. I don't know if you remember BlackBerry. Oh, yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and some of their technical developers were pushing, you know, this idea of a computer and a phone. And the executives uh. at BlackBerry <laughs> said, you know, no, that's not us. That's not us. Uh, people aren't going to go for that. And then, you know, BlackBerry kind of went downhill from there and Apple, you know, where, where they are today with their iPhones. Um, but that's a, why it's so important to let people really tell you what they feel be, and what they're thinking, because those are the people on the ground, right, that make all leaders successful. It's not the leader doesn't make success, it's the people that make success. Yeah, it, and it just, to me, it makes so much sense because when you're trying to put together a cohesive team, you know, a team or an organization that really like they they want to come into work every day. They want to do their best. They want to give it their all. I mean, these are the things to just to recognize them, to recognize that they have an opinion. And sometimes the best input comes from the people that aren't given a chance to speak. And to me, it's always a, a lot of it are the people I call it boots on the ground, whether it's your sales force, whether it's your customer service representatives, whether it's the people in the mailroom, whether it is the person greeting people on the phone or walking in, they're getting an insight into the way that your business is perceived that you can't get when you're upstairs in the corporate office. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be in that office or that you don't have important things to do. But it's really important. Those are the first sort of link to your customers, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times point. they're they're not, um, you know, their opinion isn't asked or their voices aren't heard. And I'm not saying that, you know, I think that every company is like that. 
Um, and it seems like just the fact that we're talking about this and that you go in and talk to companies about things like this is that, you know, companies are waking up to it. But um, it can't happen soon enough, in my opinion. In my in my unconsciously biased opinion. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't even pause when I said that, honey. <laughs> but it, it's a beautiful thing to hear you talking about this and the way that you handled a new team coming in. I have been in on both sides of that. Like I have been in the position where I have walked into work on several occasions and seen uh, the leadership walking out with their things in a box, like completely unexpectedly and being told, oh, we were just sold. And by the way, you know, there's a new sheriff in town and this is how it's going down, right? So how nice to have somebody actually say, yeah. Yeah. we want to hear what you have to say, even if something's upsetting you. Right. And it works, you know, it never goes out of style. Yeah. It, it never goes out of yeah. style when you want to hear what other people have to say. I could go on and on about the skill of listening, but... We don't have time for that today. That's another podcast. That's another <laughs> podcast. Well, I want to ask you, we've talked about some really, I think we've given people food for thought, you know, and a first step, uh, you know, of things they can do. By the way, if you feel that those books are worth it, we can put links to them in the show notes that you talked about that you read. So if there's any advice, and we'll get to more of that um, in a little bit. But I did want to ask you a couple of questions. So now we've talked about what, unconscious bias can do to hinder decision-making, right? Here's some of the very real pitfalls of not being aware that you're doing it. Let's take the flip side of that. So you've become more aware. You've listened to the podcast. You've read some things. You've done a little bit of research. You've taken that pause that you recommended as the number one first thing you do. And then you've examined before you've made decisions. What do you find and see as the benefits that people are making in their decisions once they actually like stop and realize that this is going on in their decision-making process? Well, I'll personally tell you, I just think I'm more empowered now than I've ever been. When I truly started understanding what was impacting the decisions as an executive I was making, or even today that I make, right? Yeah, I was like, wow, I actually have more control on my reaction to any given event right now because I'm aware that I have biases at play. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit of a surprise when I reflect back and I take that pause, I'm like, gosh, oh my gosh, that, that, that's, like, that's a bias that's just popped up, you know, for me. You know, it could be about what I feel about somebody, maybe the way they drive out of the state of Maine versus us Mainers. Right? Well, those are facts. I do no. actually have a, a bias <laughs> I for won't people. be kidding. But that's a conscious bias. Yeah, but, exactly. But, it's consciously fact. No. You know, I, I can tell you that one of the big biases that um, I found for myself was, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate and I'm trying to, ref, you know, make sure that I'm more open minded, but it was a bias I had around panhandlers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had an immediate reaction uh, driving by panhandlers. And I've tried to reframe that for myself because that was just based on all my beliefs and assumptions to say, OK, if they have a horn effect on me, right? It's a, just an immediate 
judgment, immediate reaction. I need to step back and just see that person as a human. Mm -hmm. That's what they are. They're just a human being. They have their own story. I don't know yeah. anything about this person. And just let it just let it be. I don't necessarily have to do anything about yeah. it, but I just at least need to just accept this person for exactly who they are exactly in this moment. That's beautiful that you uh, said that, admitted that, because I think we all do things like that. Um, I just ran up against somebody uh, doing that where uh, I work part-time. There was a homeless person sitting outside, really wasn't bothering anybody. And this particular person, their partner was afraid to walk by this person and come in. And they came up and the first words out of their mouth were, well, this bum sitting outside. And I stopped and I said, bum? Like that's somebody's son. That's a human being, right? Now we all do that. Did that make that mm -hmm. person a horrible person who said that? No, but all of a sudden I thought, wow, I haven't heard that term since I was a little girl. And this person was probably in that age group, like older than me, older than dirt, Ellen, older than dirt. But I thought, you know, that was an unconscious bias, right? Because he was, this person was not necessarily a, a horrible human being who said it, but it just came out so readily, that term that I thought, wow, I haven't heard that in a while, but boy, that's how, you know, that's how people used to think about it, right? So I, I thank you for sharing that because we all do that and we all have those um, biases, mm -hmm. whatever they may be. And sometimes like they pop up and we're like, wow, I didn't even know I had that, right? But that's the benefit of the self-reflection because it gives you a moment when you sense yes. your judging and like, what what's behind that? What's behind that thought? Yeah, like, and, and I, I bet in so many cases we can go back and back and back and back to when we were young or something that happened, you know? So, I mean, it's really the interesting thing about this is the self-reflection and growth that can come mm -hmm. from this. And, you know, we're not growing when everything's perfect. We're growing when we're understanding that things are imperfect, particularly ourselves, yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Right. We yeah, are all a work in progress. Oh, yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you a couple more questions because I know you're very busy and we're coming up um, towards the end of the podcast. So I want to ask you, what is the one thing that you wish everybody understood about unconscious bias? I think the one thing I would like everyone to understand about unconscious bias it is that you have the ability to tap into your unconscious bias and change the way you make decisions and achieve better outcomes. Well said, well said, Ellen Miller. And of course, on the heels of that, I have to ask you, what wise words do you have for the other daughters of change out there? The wise words that I think I would share is that everybody that's listening to this podcast, you have so much potential. And what I would want for you is as you're going through your career, as you're looking at where do I wanna go next, and you're trying to reach your potential, understand that your unconscious bias can have an impact on the decisions that you're making. And to sit back and reflect on those so that when it's about you and about you reaching your potential, you're making the best decisions that you can possibly make and not allow, not allow unconscious bias to influence how you move forward. Hear, hear. 
Very well said. And as we head off into our days, hopefully aware of our unconscious biases, or at least aware that we have them, how can people connect with you, Ellen, and also, you know, support your work in this journey? Or if there's, you know, services that you offer up, how do we get people to you? Yeah, well, there's, uh, first of all, you know, my purpose is to help create cultural change. I'm a true change agent. I've helped, you know, create cultures that are more empowering for people and leaders and helping leaders tap into their own potential to lead people to create greater success. Um, So that's what I really enjoy doing. And I think it's really helpful to leaders to have people in their circles that are there focused to help them be better at what they do. Um, And so with that said, the best way to reach out to me is one via LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, Ellen Miller. You'll find me out there. As well as I have a website, ellenempowhers.com. And so either way, you can reach out to me, happy to connect with anybody and just share your journey with me. I'd love to hear from people what they think about unconscious bias. And then also tap into some of the other topics we talked about, which was psychological safety. We talked about how to um, be better leaders. That's what I'm here for. So I will make sure, Ellen, that there are links to both your website and your LinkedIn in the show notes. And I also just want to point out that you also have a podcast. And how can people uh, find your podcast? Yeah, I'm on iTunes and Spotify. And the name of the podcast is Pioneers at Work. And I would love to have anybody that is a real pioneer in their industry, a pioneer in their current role, you know, reach out to me. It'd be great to have you on a guest. It's all about showcasing people who are making a difference in the world, big and small, big and small differences, and getting their message out there to other people. 